I want to welcome you to Daily Drive Time Devotions. We're starting a study of John chapter 11 today, day one in our look at this incredible chapter of the Bible. We're going to look at verses 1 to verse 6 today. You know, there is something in every one of us that longs for something more. Everybody I've met, there's just something in them that longs for something more. We don't want to just, we don't want to just settle. We don't want to just settle for life. We don't want to just settle for things as they are. We don't want to just settle for things as they have been. Here's the incredible thing about John 11. John 11, in this chapter, Jesus shows us that there is something more. In John chapter 11, he does his most amazing miracle of all the miracles that we've seen in our study together of the book of John. He raises a friend of his by the name of Lazarus. He raises him from the dead. He does that miracle to show us who he is. Remember, with every miracle, Jesus is showing us something about who he is. And even in the middle of this chapter, he's going to remind us that he is the resurrection. He is the life. This miracle shows us who he is, but it also shows us, it also shows us what he can do in our lives. So let's get right into this chapter. This miracle begins in a very unusual way. John 11 verses 1 to 6. Let me read those verses. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, verse 6 says, yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. There's the surprise. There's what's unusual. This miracle begins with Jesus waiting. As we walk through this miracle and what Jesus does together, we're going to see how Jesus works in ways that are amazing and often unexpected. And here, Jesus waited. Lazarus is clearly sick. You see in verses 1 to 3, very clearly, Lazarus was sick. And then it tells us who this Lazarus was. He was from Bethany, which was a town very near Jerusalem. It was the village of Mary and Martha. These three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were good friends of Jesus. They were near Jerusalem, and apparently when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he would go, go to their home as a place of rest, a place of quiet retreat, and they'd become close friends. In fact, the, the Bible is clear here about who this Mary is. This is the same Mary, it says in verse 2, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. When we get to chapter 12, we're going to see more from this family, and it's introducing us to who this Mary is, which, which is important. In the Bible, have you noticed in the New Testament, there are a lot of Marys? This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus, this is reminding us. This is not Mary Magdalene, that's a different Mary. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And these friends of Jesus, these, these people that he'd spent time with and ministered to, and they had administered to him, they have a deep, deep problem. Lazarus is very, very ill. Jesus hears about it, and his first reaction is, I know what God's doing. I know that this is not a sickness that's going to end in death. It's going to end in God's glory. Jesus as God knew the future in ways that we do not. He could see the ways in which God was working toward, working for his glory. So he says, Lazarus is sick, but this is going to end in God's glory. Now, the truth is, Lazarus did die. We're going to find that out later in this chapter before Jesus resurrects him from the dead. But that's not the end of the story. He says this won't end in death. The end of the story was not death. The end of the story, the end of the story is life. The end of the story is God's glory. 
Now, just as we're walking through this chapter and we're looking at Jesus talking about sickness and illness and, and death, and he says it's for God's glory, there is a question that comes to mind. It's the same question we asked when we looked back at chapter 9 and Jesus saying he was healing somebody for God's glory. The question is, is this illness then caused by God somehow? I mean, did, did God cause Lazarus to go through this illness so that he could create his glory? Does God cause illness and sickness? Let's just dive into that one more time. Does God cause illness? Well, as you read the Bible, you find out what, what God teaches us about this. And he teaches us that rarely he does cause illness. Rarely in the Bible we see him causing illness as a punishment for sin. You see, for instance, uh, Moses' sister Miriam goes through an illness. God puts a skin disease upon her because of a sin in her life. But that's very rare in the Bible. And it's very direct. God always tells people when he's doing that and why he's doing that and how they need to repent. There's not just some general guilt that makes people sick. God says, you did this, I'm making you sick, and so you need to repent. Usually, usually illness is simply as a result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. It's not a direct punishment for sin. Uh, illness is a result of sin, but not my sin or directly your sin. It's just a result of the fact we live in a sinful world. So believers and unbelievers, we all face illnesses in this world. And in those illnesses, we need to realize that this world is not all there is. There is going to come a day, Jesus promised us, when there's going to be no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness, no more pain. That's what we look forward to. So God, God is looking forward to that day with us. And even here in this story, he's looking forward to that day. When he says, Jesus says, this is for God's glory. For God's glory, this is going to be done. That's interesting, God's glory. That phrase, obviously it means so that God can be honored. But if you read carefully the words of Jesus, you see that he often refers to God's glory in terms of what's going to happen on the cross. He talks about the Son being glorified. When he talks about the Son of God being glorified, he's talking directly about going to the cross. And so in talking about glory here, Jesus is saying, yes, people will see who God is in the healing, but there's something even deeper. The glory here is that the reaction to this healing would continue to lead Jesus toward his appointment with glory at the cross. And don't miss what happens in this story. Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, and yet he stays where he is two more days. He loved Lazarus, yet he stayed. He loved, but yet he waited. Don't let the brightness of the miracle, by the way, divert your attention from the reason for this miracle. Jesus loved Lazarus. He worked these miracles in people's lives. He works miracles in people's lives because of his love. That's why God works. That's why God acts in our lives. But here, love, love stayed where it was two more days. Love waited. You know what love was doing here, what Jesus was doing. Jesus was meeting their deepest needs instead of satisfying their immediate wants. That's what love does. As we walk through this chapter, we're going to see Jesus loving these people that he had spent so much time with through this miracle. And here he loves them by meeting their needs instead of satisfying their immediate wants. Jesus waited because it was the right thing to do for all who were involved. Jesus waited because he understood God's timing better than anyone. It's interesting in John how we've seen again and again that Jesus always does things on his timetable, not on other people's timetable. His mother says, hey, we're at a party. Let's, uh, let's have a miracle here and make some wine out of this water. And Jesus says, well, wait, 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 wait. It's got to be on my timetable. His brothers are going down to a feast in Jerusalem, and they say, Jesus, come with us right now. And Jesus says, wait, 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 my timetable. And here he waits two days. 
for his timetable. Now, as I talk about waiting for God to work, that may be a very practical, real truth in your life right now. You might be waiting for God to work in your life. If you're waiting for God to work right now, I would encourage you to do three things. Three things. First of all, make sure that it's God you're waiting for. Make sure that you're not using God to try to get what you want or using God as an excuse to not do what what you know you need to do. Sometimes people say they're waiting on God, but the truth of the matter is they're waiting on themselves or they're waiting on nothing. The truth you got to look at first is, am I truly waiting for something that fits into the will of God or is what I'm waiting for some selfish need? That's the key. Is it selfish? Is it unselfish? That's usually where I can see the dividing line between my will and God's will. So make sure that it's God that you're waiting for and not some excuse that you put in your mind. And if it is, if it is God that you're waiting for when it comes to a relationship or a hurt that needs to be healed or a struggle you're going through in your life or a job that you're waiting on coming or a dream that hasn't been realized, if you see that it is God that you're waiting for, the second thing you do of these three things is you pray for God's glory. Jesus said it's for God's glory. So you pray for God's glory, even in the waiting. Sometimes God's glory will come through your growth, your personal growth in the waiting. Sometimes, like here, it will come It will come through a way that God works that could have never happened except for the waiting. You pray for God's glory, even in the waiting. I got to tell you, I'm like you. I hate to wait. But there have been so many times in my life when I have seen God do things in my life and other people's lives because we've had to wait. It could have never happened if the wait hadn't been a part of our lives. So you pray for God's glory even in the waiting. You make sure it's God that you're waiting for, number one. You pray for God's glory even in the waiting. And then number three, you trust his timing because he knows far more about it than than you ever will, than I ever will. You trust his timing. Now, let's take just a second as we pray today to talk to God about something that you might be waiting for right now. And just say to him, Lord, you know what it is. Here it is. Here's what I'm waiting for. So I, I just go through what we just talked about. Am I waiting for you, Lord? I ask you the question. Is this just some selfish desire? If it is, let me know. If it's in your will, give me a conviction, a heart about that. That lets me know that as well. And then in this, even in this waiting, I I don't like it, but even in it, I pray for your glory. I pray for your glory, for you to be glorified in me and through me and through this situation. And God, as hard as it is to pray this, I pray, I tell you in faith, that I trust your timing because I know that you know things I will never know. And so I I bring this situation to you and I say to you in Jesus' name, I trust you. Amen. Well, join us tomorrow. We're going to see together what happens when Jesus decides to stop waiting in verses 7 to 27. 